It's time for the 2020 legislature, and we're here to break it down for you today. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things Missouri energy policy and politics and beyond. This is Executive Director James Owen of Renew Missouri. I'm here in the palatial Renew Missouri studios with a full house. As always on the boards, Danielle Wilson, our sassy producer. Hi, Danielle. Hi, James. Is that okay if I call you sassy? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Also joining us, it's been a while since she's been on here, but we have our policy clerk, Emily Piontek. Hello again. Happy to be back. Happy to have you back and making his Renew Gurus debut, our legislative intern, Dalton Archer. Hi, Dalton. How are we doing, James? Well, I'm just happy to have you all here. And I'm happy that the legislature has started. Okay, so you're used to probably getting from uh, groups that you uh, are on the list or from like a list of bills that um, have uh, that have the interest of the group and what we're going to be supporting and opposing. We're going to be doing that, but we also wanted to kind of break it down into a digestible 30 to 35 minute podcast that kind of talked about some of these bills and some of these issues that you've probably heard us talk about before, because uh, some of these concepts are new to uh, Missouri, but some of them are things that we dealt with last session. So uh, if some of this sounds familiar, that's okay. Now, we are recording this on a Thursday, Thursday the 9th. Uh, the legislature started yesterday, the 8th at noon, uh, where they swore in nine new state reps, no new state senators, and they did a lot of pomp and circumstance and had a lot of press conferences. And today they're coming in bright and early at 10 a.m. <laughs> and they'll be done by noon. <laughs> and then they will be coming back uh, Monday at 4 o'clock. If you think to yourself, well, my goodness, that doesn't sound like they're putting in much of a week. Uh, you know, remember that uh, the typical week during a legislative session is uh, caucus meetings happen at 4 o'clock on Monday. You have a full day of uh, voting and committee activity on Tuesday and Wednesdays, and then you have people in session or in committee meetings uh, on Thursday mornings, and then you have what we call uh, gas burner Thursdays where everyone goes back home. Uh, and then they have their, their long weekend where they're supposed to be talking to constituents and doing things in their district uh, because we don't have full-time lawmakers here in Missouri. So that's why that, if that sounds brief it's intentional so i don't want to like disparage anybody did it sound like i was disparaging anybody there emily no okay so. <laughs> okay you, you're you're okay with good. this you got it yeah. okay thanks um so okay so as a reminder again we have a supermajority of republicans in the house a supermajority of republicans in the senate our governor mike parson is a republican um so there is um you know it is a very conservative um process here when you have bills that are going through the House and the Senate and ultimately get signed or vetoed by the governor and you think well that would probably be pretty easy um, to get bills passed but actually what I think has been proven is it's made things kind of tough because now you've got so many Republicans especially in the Senate uh, where okay again another reminder we have 163 state reps uh, in Missouri we have 34 state senators it's a relatively large body of lawmakers for our state our size. And uh, so the Senate is relatively autonomous. 
even to the extent of when you have uh, a large majority of those uh, senators coming from the same party, they still have different agendas, they still have different interests, and sometimes those conflict. So then you see that there are challenges there. Plus, it's an election year. Uh, we have all of our statewide offices up for election this year, except for state auditor, which incidentally enough is our only Democratic statewide office holder. Everyone else is up, including governor. And all the state rep seats are up, and the um, odd-numbered Senate seats are up. Fun fact, Alton, I don't know if you knew this, but in presidential years, the odd-numbered um, odd Senate seats are up, and in the, uh, the off-election years, we have... Even numbered. I did not know that. Thank yeah. you for enlightening me today, James. <laughs> well, that's what we have you around for, is uh, <laughs> not only for our help, but for your education and edification as well. So let's uh, let's get down to this. So some of the things that you have um, you have seen uh, last year uh, that didn't pass that we've talked about. Um, well, let's talk about one that I know that Emily and I have talked about that we actually recorded a podcast for, but I was like. I'll just admit it right now. I was a little slap happy when we <laughs> when we recorded it. So I actually we have a podcast out there about this topic that we have not released on electric market deregulation. You remember doing yes, this? I do remember that. And I was like, I don't remember what I had going on, but I, I I don't know if I was like worried about like some fundraising thing or whatever. But oh my gosh, it was terrible. We'll redo it. All right. All right. Uh, because uh, Senator Doug Leibla, Republican from Poplar Bluff tend to be known as a foe of the utilities uh, in the state, has uh, refiled his Senate joint resolution to place energy market deregulation on the 2020 ballot. Now, Emily, you want to inform our fine listeners about what energy market deregulation means? Oh my goodness, let me dust off my Okay, yeah, dust, dust it uh, off. Deregulation. I'll help, don't okay, worry. Okay, great. So basically, it's just um, opening the electric market up to um, a broader range of people who can produce power. So taking some of the power away from our oh. big IOUs. The, nice uh, use of Amber, fun there. Thank you, James. Uh, <laughs> Ambrin, KCPNL, and Liberty. Oh, not KCPNL. Oh, not KCPNL. Oh, Evergy. Evergy. Oh, my They've God. changed okay. their name right. now. We don't want to like get in any trouble with that. All right, um, Evergy. So <laughs> allowing more uh, people, more companies to produce power than just the big IOUs that we have in Missouri. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what this comes down to is deregulating the generation and transmission of power. We don't deregulate distribution of power because that, <laughs> that would be a bit of a mess since that's uh, the whole process of getting power from the transmission line to your house or your business. Uh, that is still uh, regulated, even in deregulated states. Um, Dalton, uh, you're a Republican. Don't you think that conservatives and Republicans, and I'm not trying to, I, I always say you're a Republican like I've got some sort of like, uh, <laughs> some sort of like equal opportunity thing here. I mean, that's not, I mean, <laughs> that, that's not why we're doing it. But I mean, I, I'm always surprised by uh, conservatives in the legislature who don't support this. And you see deregulation as something that should be supported by Republicans and conservatives? Yeah, you would think um, that deregulation would be a priority because some, like a libertarian type person, would describe an IOU potentially as a monopoly. And that's. Oh, should, I think, yes. That would very be much so. very much anti, like a libertarian um, perspective. And yeah, so they don't you like would monopolies. Think, yeah, you would think that deregulation would be a good thing. 
Yeah. Uh, and yet, okay, so last year, Senator Leibla, who is a Republican, who, by the way, I, I've worked with before. I like Senator Leibla a lot, but let me just, I'll, I'll fill you all in. He does not believe in climate change. <laughs> he does not believe that renewable energy is the solution to any of our problems. Um, however, he does think that opening up the marketplace is good for business. He thinks it's good for customers in general. And he does recognize the fact that in states that have deregulated markets, it does tend to bolster renewable energy production. I mean, that's just a cheap, easy way to make power compared to uh, coal or nuclear, which we'll get to that in a minute, because <laughs> that's a big topic this year, too. But yet he did not even get a vote for that in the Senate. Uh, the Senate, which currently has 24 Republicans, has Republican leadership. No vote. Doesn't that seem weird to you? It Dalton does. Archer? It does seem weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think it also shows the influence of the utility companies in Jefferson City. Um, we've talked about this before. They have a lot of lobbyists, and I, I would also point out, you know, I mean, let's just let's not try to make them sound completely nefarious. They provide a public good, <laughs> and they provide it to uh, nearly 2 million, uh, or maybe over 2 million uh, customers in the state. So, I mean, Ameren's got 1.2 million customers. Uh, you know, uh, Evergy has about 800,000, and Liberty or Empire has about 180,000. So it's a little over 2 million. So that's a lot of people in the state of Missouri who are relying on that service. So I don't want to make it sound like, oh, you know, it's just they're an oversized political force, but they are. Union. I mean, talking about the Democratic side, unions like utility companies because all the people that work there are union employees generally, a lot of IBEW employees. So Democrats who are typically aligned with union interests in the state, they like the utility companies because they're, they're kind of their interest groups of the labor unions like the utility companies because they pay pretty well. So, I mean, that's a problem. I mean, if you're wanting to see that. Now, I'm not saying like, oh, we should have a deregulated uh, marketplace here in Missouri, but I think it's interesting at least to uh, have it maybe presented to the voters. I would also add that Republican yes. constituents of lately don't really make that a priority, energy right. and uh, environment. And whether that's just because it's not traditionally a priority or they are not very informed on the topic, um, the fact that the Republican traditionally constituents aren't talking to the lawmakers that's potentially another reason why. Yeah. And that's kind of the work that I've been doing on college campuses is trying to get the younger Republican voters to understand that that should be a priority. And your group is? American Conservation Coalition. And where can people learn about that? Uh, you can go to acc.eco online. And look, ECO, what is that? Is that a new eco? Yeah, I don't, eco? I don't, I don't know. I didn't know that was a thing until um, ACC started up, but I like it. Eco. Dot eco. Emily Danielle, you're hip with the kids. Have you ever heard of this? That's that's the only website <laughs> I know that uses it. Okay. ACC. Eco. Well, now that I've made a big thing of it. Hopefully, you remember that. Okay. Good <laughs> All right. So that's deregulation, and that yes, and you're right. Republicans. I will tend to tell you what are issues that uh, get a lot of attention in the legislature. Gun rights, uh, pro-life measures, and that's because those organizations have really tapped into conservative Republican voters, and that's where they get a lot of interest group from. And that's why you see that as such a, uh, I think as you see that as a predominant issue in Missouri and other conservative states. So there's that. Um, let's talk a little bit about some other things. Okay, so we, we've spent several uh, podcasts talking about um, Grain Belt, 
that is a transmission line that was approved by the Public Service Commission back in March. Since then, that, that decision has been taken to the Eastern District Court of Appeals. Uh, it was affirmed there. I think that the opponents of Grain Belt are trying to get that uh, transferred to the Supreme Court right now. I would be very surprised if the Supreme Court took it up, considering they've already taken up something very similar. So now we have three bills uh, before the legislature um, that would limit um, eminent domain being used by privately owned transmission companies. Again, not affecting Evergy or Ameren or Liberty, but companies like Grain Belt and, and Venergy, who owns Grain Belt. So, um, Emily, have you done any work on that? I can't remember if we've had you talk about that or not. I've done very little okay. on uh, Grain Belt. Sorry to put you on the That's spot. Okay. <laughs> um, I think on my very first podcast a oh. year or so ago. Oh, congratulations. Is this your anniversary? <laughs> no, okay. not quite. For, um, for uh, being a renewed guru. Uh, I don't remember. We started okay. the podcast. I've been here for a little while, and this was the first thing I ever talked about on the podcast. Oh, so okay. <laughs> really well, dust off. as you know, we uh, this organization has been supportive of Invent Energy's efforts to put this transmission line up. Yes, yeah. yes, I'm at least. You are <laughs> you are that. down yeah. with that, okay? So, I mean, and, and this was a priority last year of the Speaker of the House, my friend Elijah Har, uh, and my former uh, political opponent Elijah Har. He beat me when we ran against each other for state rep. Uh, this is a priority for him. It's a priority for Farm Bureau, which is also a very uh, formidable uh, political force in Jefferson City. Um, and it got killed in the Senate. Uh, now, uh, that was a House bill. There are two House... There, there, no, no, excuse me. There's one House bill and there's two Senate bills this year. So we will be watching that and opposing that. Uh, we've also talked about PACE on this podcast quite a bit. The property assessed clean energy districts that allow people to take clean energy funding from a uh, kind of like political subdivision and pay that back every year through their property tax bill through the collector's office. That is a controversial subject, especially among county collectors and among bankers and real estate agents who don't like it. We like it. We have been a supporter of it since 2009 when it passed the legislature overwhelmingly. But there are efforts to put more regulation on PACE. Those have been reintroduced this year by uh, Representative Bruce DeGroote, or DeGroote. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his name, so forgive me, Representative. But I also know Senator Sandy Crawford, who is a name I can pronounce. <laughs> they, they both uh, filed these bills last year. They filed uh, different versions of them this year. I think right now we are in the process of trying to work out uh, compromises on those with the banking industry. So stay tuned. Now, how are we doing on time, Daniel? Good. Good. Okay. So a new uh, topic that's come up, which has not quite come out of nowhere, but is certainly certainly caused me a lot of curiosity. It is um, it's a concept known as construction work in progress. Wow. I I, <laughs> I think I just reverted back into some sort of speech impediment. Construction work in progress, or quip, quip. What are you looking at? I was I was actually trying to be funny because I started thinking about a Family Guy episode where they were trying to say "cool whip" and they kept saying "cool whip." Anyway, sorry. I'm sorry to <laughs> reveal myself as a Family Guy fan. Um, quip. Okay, so let's talk about. Okay, so this is a bill. This has actually been filed now by um, Representative John Black uh, from Marshfield and Senator Mike Cunningham from Rogersville. Uh, which 
if you know anything about Missouri geography, are both from Webster County, which is where I'm from. Uh, they have filed similar pieces of legislation that would allow, I think they call it the Nuclear Power Clean Energy Act, which is a, a great marketing name. Uh, this would basically allow utility companies, which currently, when they build, when they when they seek a rate of return or they seek some sort of reinvestment from regulators for uh, power plants they built, they have to show that they are in use and they are useful. They have to be completed, in other words, and customers have to be taking advantage of them. This bill would get rid of that requirement and allow uh, utility companies to charge ratepayers for this as they go along. Now, you may think to yourself, well, that sounds like a consumer protection issue, doesn't it? Isn't that a problem for consumers? And the answer would be, uh, yes, that is a problem for consumers. I know there are a lot of consumer groups out there who oppose this. Um, Ameren really made a push for this about 10 years ago when they were wanting to build a second uh, plant in Callaway County, a second nuclear power plant. They do have a power plant outside of Mocaine right now, which is, uh, uh, which is amazing. It's like it's, I've been there. When I was public counsel, I got to tour it. And have you ever been to a nuclear power plant there, Emily? No. Well, it's, it's pretty scary. <laughs> Let me tell you why. One, there's like armed guards everywhere. Or there's snipers everywhere. And actually, in in Ameren, I'm not supposed. To, I'm not sure. I, they have they have they basically have missiles set up there. Like if something's like going to crash into it, they can shoot them out of the sky. So that's kind of good cr- to know. <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah, don't. If you're gonna start, yeah, don't, don't, don't think of anything uh, like that. So, <laughs> but when you go in, we went in there when it was like shut down. These things had to shut down every 18 months to basically get maintained and clean and everything else, and it was shut down. But even then, I had to put on this big plastic outfit that basically looked like a big rubber glove, and uh, they have to like constantly check you to make sure you're not radiated. <laughs> Which you're really hoping, you know, when you um, when you watch movies or TV and you hear that, like, that, that noise when you're, like, in a nuclear power, you don't want to hear that noise. Because then that means you're pretty well dead. <laughs> so um, that was that was kind of an interesting thing I got to do. But, so Ameren pushed for this 10 years ago. It didn't go anywhere because customer groups and environmental groups fought it. Um this was actually a bill that this little law was put in place in 1976. You all weren't even, I wasn't even born in 1976 and I'm old. Um, I was born like the next year. And so um, 1976 voters in Missouri voted to prevent uh, utility companies from doing this. Um, it was a big initiative. I think it got like 60, 61% of the vote. It's been the law for about 44 years now, 43 years now. Um, and now it is being brought up again, 10 years after Ameren I brought it up. But Ameren's not bringing it up. What do you want to take a guess about who's bringing it up? I already know. You know, <laughs> Dalton? I have no clue. Oh, okay. <laughs> Emily? Missouri Farm Bureau. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And I have no idea what the connection between the two. I mean, they're gonna—they they would probably listen to me like, "Oh, that's that's not true. We're not doing this." But here's why uh, we believe it is okay. Cut because uh, back in the fall, we caught word that the Missouri Air Conservation Commission, which is a, a, a group of citizens uh, who are on a committee uh, uh, under the umbrella of the Department of Natural Resources. Uh, and they voted unanimously to send a resolution to the legislature to put this law in place. And 
who was out there touting this. It was not Amron. It was not Evergy. It was not Liberty. It was Farm Bureau. They sent out a press release supporting this. They spoke in favor of it at the hearing. And and and, and like, here's another weird thing about this. Um, okay, Department of Natural Resources. Yes, they deal with air quality. They deal with environmental things. But this has always typically been seen as a utility-regulated issue, which is uh, kind of the purview of the Public Service Commission, uh, which is not under the Department of Natural Resources. And nobody from the Public Service Commission was alerted to this. Like, everyone kind of learned about this, like, out of nowhere. Like, um, I think we learned about it, like, a day or two before the vote was going to happen. But there were consumer advocates there. There were people, our friend Ed Smith from the Missouri Coalition for the Environment, came there to explain what was going on with this. I mean, we're going to have Ed on on a podcast uh, here later in the session to talk about this. But they voted for it. And it's interesting. It's interesting, especially because Farm Bureau was opposed to the Green Belt uh, line, and now they're in favor of this. And I have to think there's some sort of connection, uh, but my poor brain has not been able to figure out that what that is. So maybe if you're all listening, you can connect the dots. I don't know. If you do, please let us know. <laughs> please email me. Tips are available at james.renewmo.org. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that is, um, and the only reason that's on my mind was because it was, um, it, it actually was also the guy who promoted this on the Missouri Air Conservation Commission, uh, Ron Boyer, uh, who is also a Farm Bureau member, uh, wrote an editorial on Tuesday uh, blasting uh, a group called Missourian for Affordable uh, and Clean Energy, or MACE, uh, which whose treasurer, his deputy treasurer is James Owen, <laughs> who has been filing some renewable energy standard ballot initiatives. And he uh, wrote an editorial about how radical and how uh, crazy that was, to which I have, and I know Dalton, you were doing some research on this, and we're still going to use that research, but just published today, and we might send this out with the podcast. Um, a response was written by James Owen <laughs> talking about, well, the real radical idea is uh, nuclear <laughs> construction. That's what I was wondering. How feasible is it to even consider building a nuclear plant? I mean, we have so much investment now in wind and solar mm. with our big utilities. Um, the cost of that continues to go down. I don't know. I guess this just seems so far out of left field to think about constructing new nuclear well, it's an interesting point there, Emily. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, yes, in Missouri right now, it is safe to say that uh, energy uh, capacity and consumption has plateaued. Uh, we are not seeing a lot of new businesses move here. We are losing population. We're an aging population. We are, we are seeing that flat. And that's one of the reasons why we work so hard on energy efficiency issues here, because we are trying to... Um, you know, take advantage of that and like say, well, you need to be, you know, you can, you know, utility companies can make money off of actually reducing capacity and reducing consumption. So that's one of the reasons that that's such a big thing for us right now. Um, but yes, but you know, we are seeing uh, coal plants retire, which are also really expensive to operate and maintain. Talk about millions of dollars a year just to run them. Not to mention the fact that building a new one or like updating one would cost hundreds of millions of dollars. And you also have EPA edicts out there and orders out there saying that, you know, Ameren's not putting enough money into their operations and maintenance, and that's going to be a couple hundred million dollars. So when those retire and those get shuttered, the utilities are looking at wind and solar because they're cheaper. Cheaper to build, cheaper to maintain, certainly no transportation costs with the fuel because that fuel is coming here through wind and solar. Um, and so it's just cheaper. Now, with nuclear... And Dalton, I've got Dalton doing some research on this, but I'll just 
uh, he's pretty early in that, so I'll just run this down. I'll give you an example. Georgia, a state that is eh, kind of conservative like Missouri, uh, they have this law in place where ratepayers have to pay as we go along on these. They have a nuclear power plant, which is now almost a decade over schedule and being built, and has gone from a budget... And some people might say I'm exaggerating this. You can look this up. It has gone from a budget of $14 billion to an estimated budget of $28 billion. Now, I know I'm loud. Danielle keeps reminding me I'm loud. And I know I have a voice of checks. I just want to make sure you know I'm saying B. I'm saying billion with a B. <laughs> that is a lot of money. In Ohio... To keep one utility company from going bankrupt, the Ohio legislature, which is majority Republican, which has a Republican governor right now, they voted for a bailout on nuclear power plants to the tune of ratepayers paying an additional $150 million a year in rates. I can keep going on if we'd like. South Carolina has going to be on the hook for $9 billion for a nuclear power plant that isn't even going to get built it is literally a $9 billion hole in the ground. Now, to answer your question, <laughs> is it feasible? I would argue that those examples in conservative states like Missouri, in states that have uh, similar demands for power that we have, I mean, Georgia's a little different just because Atlanta is such a growing uh, city, but um, that seems to me like something we would want to avoid in Missouri. Well, and we have some of the lowest rates for electricity. Oh, we in do. The yeah, we do. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I think we've. I, I do say, and I can I keep reminding people. I my first job in energy policy here in Missouri was as the state's consumer advocate for ratepayers, and that's one thing that we are always trying to point out is that ratepayers don't pay a lot of money for utility bills. We would like to keep seeing that go down because we do also have like enormous energy burdens in the state as far as like what people pay for their utility bill versus what they make for a living. And that's a different, that's a different uh, calculation. But yeah, I would hate to see us go down this road unnecessarily. When by the way, did I also mention there's no plan for any utility company to build a nuclear power plant. So why are we doing this? I have an idea. Would anyone like to hear it? I would love to hear okay. it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, um, if you look at the bill, if you look at the language, it allows for some of these expenses to go into a demand charge. Uh, we don't really have, we don't have a lot of laws in Missouri about demand charges. And, I mean, that is, that, there's a reason for that. Because they get put onto people's bill and it's a way you design rates and it can end up, it can end up being problematic. One way it's problematic is by putting a demand charge on, for example, solar customers, like they have in Kansas. Kansas has a uh, solar demand charge that was put on uh, by Evergy's uh, component over there, which has now basically wiped out the solar industry, rooftop solar industry. This bill puts those into effect, if you read it, which makes me think that's the real reason we're doing this. It's a theory. So the nuclear power plant is a smokescreen? Yeah. Like a charge? Say that a little louder, Emily. <laughs> okay. So the <laughs> nuclear power plant is a smokescreen for the demand charge. Ooh, maybe. That's our theory. Trojan right. horse? Right. Yeah. Think about it, folks. So if you're wondering, and also keep in mind the reason, okay, so since 2009, 
uh, you know, we, we, we fought back this nuclear power plant construction. We have seen an incredible increase in 10 years, 11 years now, on solar, wind, energy efficiency. Those are things that we have not seen an investment in if they had the ability to build another nuclear plant. So there's also that factor, too. Wow, this just became a whole podcast about that, but that's a big deal. This is a big deal. And I don't know if this is going to go anywhere, but it, 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 it makes me nervous. It'll definitely be a good bill to watch. Ooh, the of stay tuned for updates. Yeah. yeah. And, and Ed Smith, who works in the Missouri Coalition for the Environment, he was actually around and, and working on that topic in 2009. So he actually knows a lot more about this than I do, even. So, okay, so now I've just literally used up all of our time on this to talk about those couple of bills. But uh, we can get in some other ones. And, and keep in mind, we will try to talk about these uh, a little more in detail. Um, I'll just kind of go over these in the next five minutes. So if I ignore some of our guests here in the uh, studio, just forgive me. Um, there is a bill right now to change the way that solar facilities are taxed are uh, through property assessments, uh, which would be very bad. Uh, that is House Bill 1914. We don't like that. Uh, there is a bill out there, House Bill 1611, uh, that would allow uh, automatic opt-out for customers from smart meters or AMIs. Uh, we don't like that because utility companies and customers can use smart meters to help make choices on their energy consumption and conservation. So we, uh, we understand there are consumer protection concerns about the information that's gathered on that, but we also want to make sure that we're not like making this uh, obsolete as a technology. I think there's a lot of uh, misinformation out there about those. Um, we're against that. Um, one thing that we are in favor of is securitization. Uh, Emily Piontek, you went and testified on that last year. I did, yeah. In the last week of session, which made sure it wasn't going to go anywhere. But that has been reintroduced. Um, I think the utility companies are warming up to that. That basically creates a bond market uh, for unforeseen costs of utility companies. That includes the early retirement of coal plants. So we believe that can help neutralize the cost that goes along with shutting down uh, coal plants early. We like that a lot. Um, there is a bill to create a sales tax exemption for uh, solar production, uh, wind production. We like that bill. And then we also like, um, there's discussion uh, from the Senate on uh, low-income housing tax credit uh, reform. We have always been in favor of those tax credits because we're trying to get energy efficiency to be calculated as part of how those tax credits are awarded. Governor Greitens back in 2017 got rid of that program. Uh, Governor Parson is a supporter of that program, and uh, he, but he has been wanting a legislative fix to it. So while I think his, uh, while we have pushed his administration to put it back in um, by fiat, I think he's probably making a smarter move by trying to do it to the legislature, but that got stalled last year as well. But we are supporting that. And let's see. Um, there's also some things that we're just kind of watching that we're kind of neutral on. There's a Senate bill introduced by Senator Danny Hoskins that would allow a minimum requirement for our biofuel mix and gasoline. We're kind of just watching that. Senator Emery has filed his uh, uh, kind of annual, annual effort to create a state energy plan, um, which we're pretty neutral on. I'm always neutral about it because one, I'm not entirely sure what it accomplishes, and two, it always seems to be a bill that people always tack really bad things on that I don't like. <laughs> so it ends up being like one of these things, it's, um, it always ends up being what uh, one Democratic senator a couple of years ago called referred to as a syphilic rat. 
it just ends up yeah I know that's really gross but it ends up being you don't want that because it basically is something that just ends up being it's something that's scurrying around any way that's only made worse and so you don't (laughs) want it around so that's why I don't like it because it's a syphilic rat Um, I hope I'm saying that right it's about syphilis. It's a rat with syphilis. Okay, so <laughs> and then there's <laughs> there's also a bill uh, that some of our uh, industrial cus- uh, consumer uh, allies are uh, filed. It's, uh, well, they've written uh, Justin Brown, a senator from Rolla, would basically get rid of the sunset provision on the economic development rider in the utility rate making reform legislation that was filed that was passed a couple years ago that would allow uh, c- companies to. Um, take advantage of economic development incentives uh, that are supposed to expire in 2023. We don't have a position on that, but it is something we are watching. So, my goodness, action-packed. And we still aren't done because you can still file legislation until February 28th, including a bill that we're working on right now that we hope we get filed in the next couple weeks. Stay tuned. Emily Dalton, I've already let you plug something, so you're done plugging. What do you have to plug, Emily? Do you have anything? <laughs> All right, so we are um, co-sponsoring the Mid-Missouri Solidarity March with um, about two dozen other advocacy groups located here in Mid-Missouri. It's going to be held on Saturday, January 18th here in Columbia. Um, people will be gathering for a rally with speakers um, and a short march through downtown Columbia. Um, sort of in conjunction with the Women's March that's held every year in Washington, D.C., or has been for the past three years. Yeah. Um, and the focus of the event is on empowerment um, and involvement in the democratic process. Um, so, yeah, first time. Democratic yeah. with a lowercase lower okay. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> like invol- It's open to okay, just um, checking. people of all different political backgrounds, colors, and Or shape. none, if you, you have none. none. Yeah. yeah, you can be... Um, sort of agnostic from that process. Yeah. If you desire. Although, but, yeah, really on. existing in this country, you shouldn't be. I agree. There. But. Whether you agree with it or not, you should be involved or engaged. And uh, if you're probably listening to this podcast, I don't need to tell you that. But so we are we are co-sponsoring that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're helping. Saturday, people. Yeah. January 18th. Some people say, out. yeah. Some people say since I took over, we don't do any of that activism stuff, but we're still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're so busy with this legislative session. Yeah, too, and know, podcasts. Like with podcasts. All <laughs> yeah, over we're we're so. doing like we're doing like the man we're doing like the big big kid stuff. So, um, yeah, get involved with that. We're also going to be making announcements on our Earth Day 5K, which is going to be April 26th. Is that what we decided, Daniel? She's nodding her head. That's going to be here in the city of Columbia. We're already gearing up for that at 10 a.m. That's a Sunday in conjunction with Earth Day activities in Columbia. So. If you can make it to Columbia, save that on your calendar. Also, Mosia, our friends at the Solar Energy Industry is having their lobby day on February 4th. We will be actively engaged and involved with that all day. So if you can come to Jefferson City, we will uh, be talking about that. Um, A bunch of environmental groups are gonna be doing a kind of Earth Day lobby day in late April. So we will be able to talk more about that. I think that's April 22nd. I don't have that in front of me, but we will be getting more details on that. February 4th is the date to know now if you want to come up and help uh, the solar industry lobby on some of these issues. A lot of these things are really important to them. It could be life or death for their industry here in Missouri. So we're taking that very seriously this year. As we take everything seriously and as we take our uh, support from you seriously. So we thank you for listening. Uh, If you want to help support this podcast, well, we're always looking for donations. Go to renewmo.org and uh, hit that donate button as much as you can. Uh, go share this podcast on your social media networks. 
Uh, go write a review. Go subscribe to this on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, we'd love to have your support. Write a review, unless it's negative. We don't want to hear your negative <laughs> garbage. Uh, and, uh, you know, we hope you enjoyed this. We hope you found this enlightening. And until next time, Seacrest out. Thank you.